0: My goal tonight is that we congregationally, all together, glorify God. That we make much of Christ, that he is increased and we are decreased. But at the same time, we walk away encouraged to have a greater faith in Christ and his word. My title, uh, as it were... Uh, it's going to be test everything. Test everything. Let's pray before we get started. Father God, we thank you that you are holy, that you are just, and Lord, you are kind beyond measure. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word that shows us, Lord, who you are, that reveals your nature, your character. Uh, Lord, your power to us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, magnify yourself tonight among us. Lord, if there are any here tonight who do not know you, pray for conviction, for drawing, for repentance and faith. Lord, may you be glorified tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So about 20 years ago, um, this is when I first started preaching, I was at uh, what's called Minister School. It's a church up in Kentucky that has a one-week long conference uh, for preachers to come and uh, there's teaching, and there's a, uh, it culminates on Thursday night with a missions conference. Um, I may have that wrong. It culminates on Thursday night, and somebody's chosen to preach, but I don't remember. If m- missions conference may be Monday. Anyway, you don't need to know the schedule of minister school. But I went at 17 years old, and because I'm not from Kentucky, and most of those who went are not from Kentucky, uh, we stayed in a hotel nearby. And so when you get a bunch of preachers up staying late, uh, there's lots of conversations that go on. Lots of it is very beneficial. Lots of it gets ridiculous, uh, as we like to uh, hypothesize things. But on Friday morning, before we, we were leaving our hotel to head for the last day uh, of, of conferences, somebody who's brought up, and I have no idea who it was now, um, doesn't matter. It's like, so when, when the preacher says something we agree with, we say Amen. What if we don't agree with him? What do we say? And so then there, there, were, there were just like, context and prove it. And that made an impression on me as a 17 year old kid, been preaching for about six months, that, you know, the preacher can make mistakes. I can make mistakes. I've got to be able to back up what I say. Which brings us to First Peter three fifteen, honor in your uh, in your hearts honor Christ Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Whatever we posit, whatever we assert, put forth, we've got to be able to back it up. If you've been to any of my Sunday school classes I've taught or Wednesday night classes or anything, I tell every class you can say whatever you want in here, you just got to be able to back it up. Can't just be your opinion. You can share your opinion, but you've got to be able to back it up. We're to test everything. Every theory, every doctrine, every idea about God and salvation that comes across our path by his word. Why? Why does it matter? It's because it is our job collectively, as ministers of the gospel, not just those who are teaching, preaching. It is our job as children of God to know him accurately and to be able to describe him and tell others about him accurately. If we're not rightly dividing the word of truth by the word of truth with the spirit of truth, then our words are just pointless. Our words are just our own ideas. And as I have done, had done for, for many years, I'm just telling you what somebody else told me. It's not what I've learned. It's what I heard a preacher say, so I'm going to share it because it sounded good without delving into it myself. And so what we do in that case is that we're not pointing people to Christ, pointing them to me, or brother so-and-so who came before me and quite possibly by default Brother so-and-so who came before him that he got it from. We don't magnify Christ by not knowing his word. And the result of people having put their faith in us is we're going to fail them. We're going to fail them drastically, not just, not just, it's a horrible way of phrasing it. I can't get them to heaven, but I can't even make their life better. The result of people putting their faith in us is that we deceive them. Beyond that, even worse than me deceiving somebody and not pointing them to Christ, is that I get in the way of their knowing Christ. I blaspheme my God when I do not accurately put Him forth. I blaspheme him when the ideas I put forth are solely my own, when they're not as he himself as has revealed himself to us. I dishonor Christ when I am untrue to his word. So preachers, teachers, I've had the opportunity over the last couple months as we've been healthy enough to actually come uh, over the last couple months to hop around to some of the Sunday school classes, uh, been to, to Luke's class and Dickie's class and, and James's class. You know what I found every time I went? I needed this. this. This is, couldn't have gotten by without it. That's amazing. When I come on Wednesday nights, I need my sword. Sunday mornings, I need my sword. These lessons, these, these Sunday night uh, sermons, I need it. That's an awesome thing. I can't tell you how many sermons I've watched or listened to where they may read a verse and then never touch it again. That's a TED talk. That's not preaching. So, preachers, teachers, parents. Parents, it is our job. It is our job. It's our job to evangelize our children. To teach them the gospel. I can't pawn it off in Miss Cindy. Does a great job. She doesn't seem near as often as I do. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 tells us that God gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. We're being equipped to do the work of ministry in our own homes. If we're not, something's wrong. So, preachers, teachers, parents, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, grandparents, friends, children of God, it is of paramount importance that we know the book and that we point everyone, each other, ourselves, our children, to it that we rightly divide the word of truth, that God may be glorified in the saving of souls. So further, why should we test against the Bible? The alternative, if we're arguing separate, or if we hear something and all we're counting on is what I know about God in Christ, then I'm saying that in my, for me, 20 years of preaching... 30 years being saved, I've learned all there is to know. I've got it all checked. There's nothing that, that can come out and surprise me. I'm, I don't have to consult God on what he said about himself. I know it all. I had this thought the other day, and I, I can't remember now if it was my own thought or from one of the sermons I heard. But just, I, I like when I read in scripture to think, okay, there's, a, there's an assertion here. What's, what's beyond that? Um, so Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. Okay. What happened before that? What was God doing before we came along? I don't know. But he was just as much God. He was just as holy, righteous, sovereign, merciful. We're told that Jesus Christ is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Our existence does not draw this out of God. This is who he is. He's eternal. I, I, I remember years ago, um, one of the Wednesday night kids, I was like, just think about eternity. Like, we, we work in time. What, what happens before time? And, and like, we just had this, our, our brains felt like they were oozing out of our ears as we were trying to figure, like, we're not made, we're not equipped to deal with that concept but God is not bound by time, and so when I step away from this and am counting on myself, even if I live as old as some of you, and that's a long time, it's a drop in the bucket. Uh, I, I don't remember who it was that said it. That, uh, and uh, I'll butcher it. So here's the, the gist of it: is that we have such arrogance as adults. To think that we know so much about God, so much more than our children. When God is so much even beyond us, that he said, come as a little child. He didn't say, come with all your knowledge, come with all your everything figured out. He said, come with the faith of a child. Our, we haven't pulled these things out of God. This is who he is. And so we've got to look at where he's revealed himself to test these things. Because again, we're not adequate. We are not sufficient. So, about a year ago, um, when I preached, I titled my sermon, uh, How Do We Read Our Bible? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of statistics. And i want to hit some of those again today, tonight. Because um, if we're talking about the Bible, we need to know what we've got. Um, and so just a, a brief uh, recap of what our Bible is. Um, 66 books. I always want to say, I find myself defaulting to it's divided into 66 books. It's not divided into 66 books. It's a compilation of 66 books. There's a difference. We didn't just get that. It was like, oh, this is hard to read. Let's d- divvy it up a little bit so it, it makes more sense. It's 66 different books compiled into one hard-used um, book. Uh, those 66 books books, uh, I can say, are divided uh, into 1,189 chapters uh, which did not happen until about 1200 AD so we're in 2080, 2020 but round numbers, 2000 um, figure the end of, of canon being written was about 100, so it's 1100 years of church history that did not have chapters, so we're in the minority having these chapters Christians were different for us. It's a a mind-blowing thing for us to to realize. Uh, Those uh, 1,189 chapters are divided into 31,102 verses, which didn't happen until the 1500s. So any time before somewhere in the 1500s, you couldn't have asked anybody to quote John 3.16 because they wouldn't know what you were talking about. Uh, The first time that we see... A Bible that looks like ours, divided into with 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, was the Geneva Bible in 1560. Fascinating. Uh, I'm a bit of a history nerd, so forgive me if, if I wax on. Uh, I Googled, because I, I wasn't going to sit down and count, uh, how many people are actually, like, we get their stories in the Bible. There's a lot of people named, um, but, like, how many people would get their stories? And I only found one site that somebody had kind of counted. Uh, it says between 600 and 800 individuals that we get more than just a passing verse on. It's like 66 books, that's 10 people a book. I'm going to go with 700 as I'm doing this information. That's um, a, it's a, a lot of information, a lot of, a lot of stories stored there. It was written by some forty men over roughly fifteen hundred years. So we have sixty-six books, one thousand one hundred eighty-nine chapters, thirty-one one hundred and two verses, seven hundred individuals detailed, forty-plus authors, fifteen hundred years, one story. Wednesday night, kids, what is that one story? All of you at the same time. Jesus glorifying himself by saving sinners. Expanding on that for the adults, it's the story of God working through time and eternity to glorify himself by redeeming sinful men and women, boys and girls. And that story doesn't stop when John quit writing. God is still glorifying himself through time and eternity by saving sinners. He's still changing lives. The Bible is the written revelation of God, His will, and how He is glorifying Himself in time and eternity. It is the rule of faith and practice for those who worship God. There are things we're forbidden to do in worship. You go and read the the first, the second, two, three, and four of Revelation, and he's like, y'all are messed up. Y'all are doing some things that ought not to be done. And some of it was things that they pulled from their pagan background. And so they've got this idea of, this is, this is how we do it. This is how our grandfather did it. This is, He's like, no, I've revealed how I'm to be worshipped. Now, that does not mean that we've got to have two songs, a prayer, another song, a handshake, offering, and then a uh, call to worship. You know, that's not detailed. He's to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Loving one another. Giving grace. The Bible is our authority. This is where the buck stops. And I hope to to touch on that more as we go. So, last time, or about a year ago, I asked the question, how are we to read our Bible? We're to read our Bible prayerfully. uh, Humbly. You know, we can't come to it assuming that we're right and just going to back up our position with what God says. He may very well change our mind very likely, we'll change our mind on some things. Honestly, um, for what it is. We were talking in in Sunday school today, uh, you know, that train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from it. It's not a promise, it's a proverb. It's usually true, but not always true. We've got to read God's word for what it actually is. And we look for the gospel. We look for Jesus. So, we are to test Everything. Like what? Preaching. We get the the more noble Bereans in Acts. Um, And if you remember, those more noble Bereans were not Christians. They were the Jews who had not yet believed. Once they then went and tested what Paul said against the Scripture, which is the first, like, that part of your Bible that they had that they're testing it against. Then they believed and became Christians. It's okay. It's encouraged to test your preacher. No offense. And I know it's not offensive. Against the word of God. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians 1, 6-8, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. So yes, even pastors, preachers are to be tested against God's word. Paul doesn't tell them, guys, I've got it figured out. You listen to me. Don't worry about that. Listen to me. He does not set himself up as the end-all, be-all, the man of God against whom you cannot question. And we've seen that over and over again throughout church history, people doing that. He says, if I come back, I'm the one who planted this church. I'm the one who taught you the gospel. If I come and teach you a different gospel, let me be accursed. And he goes beyond that, beyond humans. He says, if an angel from heaven comes and preaches a different gospel. Does that sound familiar with things that people have claimed throughout history? This angel came and has made this greater revelation. And so we'll, we'll kind of tweak this and, you know, you're not reading it right. We'll, we'll teach you how to read this. It's like, no, if an angel from heaven comes and it's not the gospel that you have preached, let them be accursed. God's revelation never contradicts itself, whether here or your experience, which Peter chimes in on. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21, Peter says, telling us, those who believe, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's like, we didn't make this up. We didn't just like get together and say, hey, this sounds really good. Let's let's share this. It's like, we witnessed this. We saw it. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Till the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them that the Word of God is more sure than when he stood on the mountain, saw Jesus glorified, saw Him talking to Moses, and Elijah heard God speak from heaven. He says, This is more sure than what I experienced. Human experience fades. Human experience, it can, we can twist it in our minds. You get me, my brother, my sister, and get us to recount the same thing, you're going to get three different versions because we remember it differently. He says, This is the more sure word, even above your experience. God's word will never contradict God's word. God's revelation will never contradict God's revelation. Paul then goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to demonstrate how we are to test everything. Uh, I know when I was in Dicky's class, they were wrapping up uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And I uh, wish I'd been there for previous weeks. If I could be in all the Sunday school classes, that'd be really cool. Like I, 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 I've enjoyed all of them I've been in. Um, but thankfully, there's just one of me, so I can't be everywhere. So, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8 uh, Paul says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. then he gets into addressing their concerns that he's heard from them. Uh, Excuse me. Down in verse 12, he says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So, Paul in, in verses 1 through 8 has just asserted, I've seen the risen Christ. He rose according to the scriptures. So, He's got his experience. I've seen him. He's got, according to the scriptures, he's got scripture backing him up. And then he's got these people who have come and say, there is no resurrection. Now this could be because with their pagan background, they don't see, it could be, uh, there is no, they don't have a framework for that. Um, It could be that that Gnostic influence of uh, spirit good, body bad, so no body in heaven. Um, It could even be those Sad you sees who don't believe in the resurrection. Whatever it is, he says, all right, you've made your assertion. Let's test this hypothesis. In order for us to test everything, we've got to be willing to engage with it and not go, blah, 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 I can't hear you. There's a big difference. We take like Paul did and say, okay, if what you say is true... Let's follow this through. Let's follow these ramifications. Have you ever uh, shot a, a rubber band off your thumb and, and tried to be accurate with it? You know, if you if you are perfectly lined up, you know, I'm, I'm eight inches away from that, that mic, I could probably hit it. But if I just tweak a little bit, I can probably still hit it. But the farther we get, the farther off it gets. This is what our theology does. Up close, we can get... Uh, bamboozled and think, yeah, this sounds good. All heresy sounds good at first, pretty much. But the farther and farther and farther we take this, the farther down the line we take it, things fall apart. So he says, verse 13, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then is Christ not raised, right? Because if there is no resurrection, then Christ isn't raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we have testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile excuse me, and you are still in your sins. Do you remember what Gabriel told Joseph was the purpose Jesus was coming in Matthew 1:21? He said, "Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins. So if Christ is not raised, and you're still in your sin, Jesus came for nothing. He came and died for nothing. Verse 18, And those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What is the first memory verse we learn as children, and that you could probably ask anybody off the street in the South, what's the verse they can say? John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him should not perish if Christ is not raised then you are perished then Christ is a liar Jesus promised the son of God promised those who believe in him will not perish so their argument completely falls apart when we hold up false arguments they fall apart against the word of God Paul took their argument, dissected it, and laid it bare and showed them. It doesn't hold up. If what you've said is true, then we're of all men to be most pitied. he, He concludes in 20 and through the rest, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. I've proved it from Scripture. Christ has been raised. So as we... There we go. Uh, My Bible's falling apart on things. Uh, As we test and we find what is good, what are we to do? Hold fast. Hold fast the sure word of truth. Hold it secure. Do not let it go. So, this brings us to what can be a sticky subject sometimes. What happens once I've tested this Against God's word. And you've tested this against God's word, and we disagree. Now, there are areas upon which we cannot disagree. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8 is a prime example. Christ came, He died, He rose again. There's a lot of other stuff that we can disagree on. And in James's class, when I was there, we were just wrapping up Romans 14, getting into 15. And I had this, this, I've been calling it my aha moment uh, in class last week, and you get to share it. Um, so I love Romans 14. It talks about, well, we're just going to read some of it, 1 through 4. Um, it's this fantastic dic- discourse on what to do when we disagree with our brother or sister. So Romans 14, 1 through 4, As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's very important. One believes... He may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Once again, we see we do not stand in our own power, the Lord is able to make us stand. Verse 5 and 6. Uh, sorry. Uh, so we've got this, this background of disagreement. Some believe they can eat meat. Some believe they can uh, cannot eat meat. And it's even a sin to eat meat. Verse uh, Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. That's not... Uh, such harmony, like, um, yay! This is such a such. My English brain is left. Uh, it's not a. Uh, it's referring to what's come before. This harmony that we can have with one another uh, in verses one through four. Let me get over there. Uh, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, this harmony that comes from being united in Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That struck me, and I've not been able to let it go, that when Scripture is my guide, when I am living, as God has called me to be, not judging my brother for our differences, then our very opposite things, eating meat, not eating meat, we can both walk in those. And in that complete dichotomous difference, we're both glorifying God with one voice. I don't understand that. That we can both have such strong convictions and yet when we're true to God, when we're true to what he's laid before us, we may come from different backgrounds. They could, you could have had somebody in, in Rome that part of their worship of their false god was the eating of meat. And so he says, I can't, I can't do that. Just that. That's what I grew up with. That was such a big part of my family tradition, part of my worship of these false gods that I just, I want to give it up for Christ. He says, hallelujah. And you could have somebody else who's like, meat's good, dude, like enjoy hallelujah praise the Lord does not Christian love and humility when we come to these impasses that we've got room on allow me to say hey what if I'm wrong what if I have room to grow here what if I'm the weaker brother here Um, when we have the gospel as our foundation when you and I have the commonality of faith in Christ and saving faith and we are children of God then I have to trust that the same Holy Spirit that's indwelling me and guiding me and teaching me and leading me is doing that to you that's his job, that's what he does and so I can trust him to work in you I don't have to make you line up to me We don't have to look the same. We can, in our differences, glorify God with one voice. But if you are outside of Christ, you don't have that. You don't have that guide. You don't have uh, that sure foundation. You can still come to the Word. You can still come and see, where do I line up against this? That's that's what it's here for. And the Spirit will convict, and he will convict of sin and righteousness, our sin, and how we fall short of God's righteousness. And the call is to repent and obey, to repent and believe. He's a mighty Savior. He's a mighty Savior. And whom he draws, he does not cast out. Child of God, I hope that we come away just a little bit. I don't have big hopes for, for big jumps, just a little bit of trusting God more tonight, having a little bit more understanding, a little bit more faith, that God is true to his word. And that it's not about our ability. He doesn't save us and then imbue us and say, Go forth in your own power. Even when we do our very best, it falls short of what he, he demands our righteousness is still no comparison to His. It's only that alien righteousness that we heard about this morning that we can stand before God. So I hope that we come away with a little bit more trust. And if you're outside of Christ, I pray that tonight you come away trusting Christ. That He shows you that if you're not trusting Him, that you're trusting your own righteousness your own what I can do, that he will show you you can't do it. It's not in your power. Like our catechism says, that we have our only hope in life and death is that we are the Lord's. Flee to him. Cast yourself on his love and mercy. All of us. Repent. Trust Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are holy, just, righteous, and good. Lord, that you are so beyond us. You are not created. You are not bound by time, space, matter. You are not bound by our pitiful efforts. Lord, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. It is not the preaching. It is not the preacher. It is the gospel itself. Lord, you work in and through your word, and through your people. I pray, Lord, uh, that you would draw us all closer to you. Help us, Father, to live faithfully before you. Lord, may we please and honor you tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.